Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, and I am literally talking to you right now from steps away from the practice field. I'm in the media tent uh, here. uh, Everybody else is gone. That's not a brag on my part of being some diligent worker. It's just the way the day worked out, so I thought I would record my introduction from here, uh, seeing as how just a few minutes ago, I recorded a podcast on these hallowed grounds um, with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post as we broke down the first day of pads in practice. Uh, got to see the linemen go head to head. Of course, pads were worn by everyone, so we got to look at the receivers, the secondary as well. So we discussed. All of that, some surprising moments there. Also, our views on where Sam Howell is uh, at this point in camp. And also, we talked a little bit about the stadium situation as well, including whether it just makes sense for the district to even go down this path. Uh, So we'll get to that in a moment here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcast. You can find me, of course, on Twitter at Ben Standig. I, never, I rarely mention my Instagram, but you can get me there at Ben Standig, the number one. That's also my same um, name on threads. Um, so we'll uh, I'll get to Sam in a moment. We really discussed a bunch of the, the main topics for the day, so not a ton else uh, to get into here at the top, but I just will say a couple things. First off, Linebacker Jamin Davis was back at practice today. Davis missed Monday's practice while he missed it because he was in a Loudoun County courthouse dealing with a reckless driving charge that stemmed from him going 114 miles an hour in a 45 mile, hour, mile an hour zone in March of 2022. Uh, there was a plea agreement reached with the with the prosecution, but the judge rejected it. Davis will be back in court on Thursday, and we will see where this goes. He previously had a reckless driving charge that was lowered uh, because of an agreement there, but it's a factor, it appears, with the judge in this case. So we'll see what this means for uh, Jamin Davis, the person, and what it means for the player on the commander's roster. Ron Rivera told everyone yesterday that he... um, that he and the team are, you know, offering Jamin their support, but there's not much else they can say right now as it goes through the legal system. So we will see what that means for Jamin Davis here in a couple of days. You know, as far as uh, practice goes, what a lovely day out here in Ashburn. No complaints from any of us about the heat. Ironically, Ron Rivera told us afterwards he kind of wishes it was hotter, frankly, with pads on, you know, because this heat... The, uh, fighting through that 
these really, you know, what can be hard conditions, as was the case last week, helps players with endurance, helps them get a little bit tougher as they get ready for the season. But nonetheless, it was a very pleasant day on the first day of pads. And, you know, it's really, um, you can really see the players. It's, It's not just those of us who want to see these, you know, these big, strong guys go head to head. But the players, this is why they play football. This is what they want to do. Sam Cosme said that, you know, he loves this time because it's when you get to sort of impose your will and, and, and hit somebody, you know, in, a, in an appropriate manner when they don't want you to. Uh, Terry McLaurin said on Monday that he really likes the padded practices, not only because he's a physical receiver, but because some guys can look good in shorts, but the pads really kind of help distinguish who is, you know, who is really getting after it. And he's not talking about anybody here necessarily, but just the, the, the general concept. He thinks it's where he can shine, and he's not wrong in that regard. Um, but again, Sam and I talked a lot about what we saw here with the, with the padded practice, so I, I won't step on that. Um, but you know, there there will be another padded practice on Wednesday and then I believe another one on Friday they also practice uh, Thursday this week so I believe there should be three days of padded practice uh, and that'll it'll give the coaches their first look at some of these guys and there is some you know obvious right I mean it's it's not just a you know, when you're getting hit, you know, it, it's going to show a certain amount of level of toughness for some players. But I think on the line play, the, the reason why it's important is otherwise the defensive linemen, of course, are just pushing forward. The offensive linemen are trying to hold them off. And it's a lot harder to do when you don't have the ability to lean into it yourself because you're not protected, uh, you know, with shoulder pads and things like that. Now they can. And so that's obviously why it's interesting to watch there was 11 on 11s of course but then they also had some one-on-one breakout sessions uh, there were goal line scenarios so there were they put them through a lot of different uh, scenarios to uh, to get after one another the receivers and defensive backs went through some one-on-one drills in addition to the 11 on 11s as we discussed in 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 the podcast, I didn't really watch as much of the receivers today because it was exciting to watch the linemen and a lot of the action was happening simultaneously. Uh, but we'll talk more about every, you know, all aspects of the of the team later in the week. Uh, just quick mentions here with regards to the written work. If you missed it, I had a, a story up on a Monday about how still trying to. It feels like the team is still trying to figure out where are they going to be throwing the ball the most because Eric Bieniemy's team, well, his, the Kansas City Chiefs will say, as we know, Bieniemy wasn't really calling the offense, but they were a very running back, tight end focused attack, and that's the way it's been through a lot of practices. I would say less so though the last couple of days. So, what is the identity of this offense? Where are the balls going to be going? Um, down the line and how you know has Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett have how are they adjusting uh to this offense all that kind of good stuff so you can check that out and if you're listening to this uh and we haven't gotten to well actually this could be up soon I'm not sure but I have another story today off of the padded practices as well um all right let's uh let's just get to it here is my conversation with Sam Fortier 
uh, about padded practice day here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, this is a uh, first, I believe, on the podcast. I've had it where other people have been maybe doing some exercise or something uh, while they're talking to me. I've never done it where I am part of the exercise plan, but that's what we're doing here at practice uh, because Sam Fortier with the Washington Post and I are here. And uh, after watching these guys you know, run around and do things all day, Sam says, hey, my personal uh, steps count, not that high. I'm just standing and watching. Let's. How do we do this podcast while moving? So that's where we're walking the practice fields here uh, until somebody tells us not to do that. It's kind of funny, man. Like I was looking at my iPhone heart step chart the other day or whatever, and I was like, oh, I'm out of practice for two hours. Must be, you know, getting it in. And I looked down, it's like 4,500 steps. And I was like, wait, that's that's not enough. So rather than going home and walking around my neighborhood when I get home, I thought to myself. And standing and I can talk for a little bit of time. Maybe it's best if we just uh, walk and talk. Yeah, plus I get the extra exercise here for my forearms. I'm holding my phone. So, um, you know, I got that going for me as well. This is preparing you for the TV scrums during the year where you have to hold it for nine minutes of Terry and you got to reach all the way out. Yeah, uh, yeah, look, he's not lying. Like, if you want to feel a burn, just do that. Like, imagine, like, you could do this at home. Take your phone. Or whatever, you know, some device that acts as a recorder. Hold it straight out, but you can't move it for the entire time of the interview because other people are there, you know. You can't adjust. It's very tight quarters. He's not lying on that. Speaking of... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, oh, yeah. Speaking of tight quarters, a lot of focus today on the linemen. Not that we don't pay attention, usually, but, you know, it's more fun watching the quarterbacks in the passing game, if we're being honest. But pad pads were out today and that meant oh yeah let's watch the big guys bang the crap out of each other uh and all that stuff so we got to do that today um no no you know no 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 big flare-ups no big you know brawls or anything along those lines but we did get to see these guys take it to the next step with the pads um i enjoyed watching that how about you yeah no i i think that's Putting the pads on brought a certain intensity out. I thought it was notable that after the first-team defense had been really stifling the first-team offense, you saw the coaches mix it up and go first-team defense against, or excuse me, second-team defense against first-team offense. I thought the the first-team defensive line really showed out in some of those padded portions. There was a goal line drill, and you know the offense wasn't even the first-team offense wasn't getting it done against the second-team defense there for for a minute. I think three straight runs didn't hit the end zone. So I thought the physicality was important today. I I did see there was a there was a really particular good moment um, during the one-on-one offensive lineman defensive lineman drills the first rep undrafted free agent guard Mason Brooks put former second round pick Fedarian Mathis on his butt um, and then Juan Castillo the offensive line coach got so fired up and he, he he was like do it again do it again just to prove you know to give Fedarian I think another shot at it and on the second play Brooks put Fedarian Mathis in the dirt on his face, and the offensive line went nuts, and that's maybe the most energetic uh, I've seen people at camp outside of a Terry McLaurin catch. Uh, uh, 100%. That was easily the highlight of the the, the, the linemen, in part because, look, I mean, just seeing somebody win that dramatically, because I, like, I was, like, tracking each of these battles, so basically... There's like two offensive linemen lined up, but only one on the snap of the ball. One gets up, the other moves 
away, and then the defensive lineman attacks. They go one-on-one. They do that for three to five seconds. The next group comes in, et cetera. And, you know, there were some interesting moments, for sure, with some of the obvious names. Uh, but here, like, I don't know about you, like, I mean, I know who Mason Brooks is, played at Mississippi last year, was a priority free agent, things like that. But, you know, I'm paying attention to Fedarian Mathis in that matchup, and all of a sudden, it's not, it's one thing for the other guy to get the better of him. He got it the better of him decisively. And this isn't about saying, oh, Fedarian Mathis is in trouble. No, nothing like that. It's just to note that this is sort of what Pad Day did. It highlights the linemen, it puts them in these one on one situations. And there's extra juice because of the pads. There is just nothing other to say it. They all made some comment like that. And it was fascinating to see how they all got excited. Um, you know, that's the thing, right? At the end of the day, these are football players, and they come out here to beat on the other guy. And that this is they finally got to do that today. Absolutely. And I think th- there was a little bit of chippiness. Andre Jones, the seventh-round pick, um, he actually got into it with Alex Akingbulu, a practice squad offensive lineman. They kind of went after it, and I thought it was funny. So I think Jones shoved Akingbulu after their one-on-one, and Sam Cosby, like, runs in to, to back up his guy, and F.A. Obata came for the defensive lineman. And Sam Cosby, like, I don't know if it was like he just didn't anticipate it right or if he wasn't trying to go that hard, but he ended up, like, literally patting Obata on the helmet. And so it was really funny to see the first two guys kind of like actually jawing and getting after it. And then Sam Cosme, you know, coming over, just giving a little head tap. So I, I think that the intensity certainly was ramped up today, uh, but also there was a, you know, a nice little moment there. All right. By the way, for those scoring at home, we've now basically done one length of the football field. Now we're going about half the other football field. Don't, don't nobody's timing us here on this. Uh, our 40 time is ridiculous. We're just walking. If you, if you don't want to hear me out of breath, have me run. <laughs> um, so let's just go back to the line. Look, there's not much to say about the, the defensive line. They are performing as advertised. Uh, you know, particularly you know the John Allen, Deron Payne, Sweat, Chase Young has certainly looked athletically fine. No issues there on the one-on-ones. He went up against Charles Leno twice. He got outside him both times, but Leno made the journey longer, pushed him outside, so I don't know if it would have been ultimately a, a hurry or anything like that. The other side of the ball, though, is where the question is, and it's sort of this weird line between when you're going up against such a good defensive line, kind of any offensive line might not look that good, but it is easily the biggest question in camp outside of the quarterback, and my questions still remain. I'm not that excited about where this group is it's only day one of pads so hopefully you know they've got more time to to shine but uh yeah i for me that question is still very much front and center i i would say that the commander's season last year was torpedoed by three offensive components quarterback play caller offensive line obviously they made pretty substantial changes at the first two and for the third one you saw them address it really with mid-round draft picks and mid-market signings and will that be enough i think a lot of people you me other people here nationally are rightfully skeptical that this unit will be able to get it done they're obviously lighter they're more athletic than last year's group they're younger and that will probably help in eric Bieniemy's screen game and some of those other facets that he wants to bring to put his playmakers in space it might certainly help that you know eric Bieniemy runs a west coast based scheme that's more based on timing and and getting the ball out quickly whereas scott turner's eric coriel based scheme wanted to take those shots downfield with with carson wentz's big arm i think all those things could help but is this group going 
going to be good enough to get it done? That's a massive question that we still do not know the answer to. Yeah, no, a million percent. They can talk about being run first, run focus, whatever they want to say. But if you can't run the ball, then it's not going to be that great. So we'll see how uh, how that goes. I will say, like, Nick Gates, to me, has looked pretty good at center. That looks like it could be an upgrade uh, if he can stay healthy. And, you know, Charles Leno is totally solid. Deron Payne complimented Tim Cosme's athleticism the other day, said that kind of give him, gives him some troubles. But, yeah, the left guard spot is very much up in the air. Well, Andrew Wiley, I think, has been uneven, unsteady at times in camp. So a lot to uh, go there. And it's not like there's a ton of backups where you're going, well, okay, well, why don't you just try that guy? Eh, I, I, you know, they, they, they got to figure out this group. They'll have some more time to do that. Um, any other part of the uh, big guys going head-to-head on pad day uh, stand out? Well, I think one of the concerns for me, and I agree, Nick Gates has looked mostly solid, but I would say that with, I wouldn't say alarming, but with a, a discomforting regularity, Nick Gates has had some high snaps, and you've seen that lead to some turnovers, some some you know, disrupting of the timing of, of certain plays. And so I don't expect that to be a big problem, but for a guy that mostly was a guard before he came here and is now expected to play center, it's something that I will be watching when we get to the preseason games. All right, let, let's stay with the offense, uh, just the offense in general. So the other day I wrote a story about, uh, it was kind of, I don't know what the hell was I wrote about. It was basically about, um, you know, still trying to figure out what where the ball is going to go in this offense you know in Kansas City the running backs and tight ends got way more targets in terms of relative to the rest of the league than the receivers did and so far that's kind of what we've seen here even though obviously they have a big investment at receiver um but the other part is just sort of the offense you know getting going and the headline said something like Brissett and Hal reverse that Hal and Brissett um, you know, a bumpy start or whatever. And people were giving me grief in the various comment sections. Like, what do you mean? I've been seeing Sam Howell is crushing it in camp. And, you know, this is where I don't know if it's the difference between like only seeing Twitter highlights or just seeing random people on Twitter describe things. He definitely has had his moments. He's definitely had. What's that? We can. That's going to be on the podcast. <laughs> All right. So if you didn't just hear that, Sam and I just got chased off the field by uh, one of the staff, which is fair. I mean, you know, they're about to, they're going to come back out here at some point. Nonetheless, we're not wearing cleats. I don't, I don't think our, you know, our steps are going to kill the field here. Anywho, the idea that Sam Howell has been killing it when therefore, because everybody's so excited that he's going to be the guy that when you say, well, you know, actually, it's been a little bit up and down. He can hit some deep shots for sure, and it's not all bad by any stretch, and he's a young guy and all that. But the deep, some of the shots downfield are very hit or miss. The offense has looked pretty unspectacular the last couple of practices, and I don't think today changed my view of that at all. What say you, knowing that, I'm just warning you now, people, if you offer any type of critique – We'll call you a hater. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been called a hater before, um, so I'm not too scared. But here's the thing about Sam Howell for me. The guy is sort of set up to produce 
really great Twitter highlights. Right. Because athletically, physically, he can do everything. He has an awesome arm. He fits tight throws in. He throws with touch. All of those things are things that he excels at, and he should be, you know, performing well enough to, to have a clip every once in a while that could go viral on Twitter. The things that are harder to see are the things that he needs to work on, the mental processing, the decision-making, the knowing where to go with the ball immediately. So, like, yes, there is a Twitter clip that goes out of, of him hitting Terry down the right sideline for just an absolutely awesome ball, and, like, I would, you know, I have no criticism of that play whatsoever. But, like, that Twitter highlight misses the 10 other plays where he's late to the check down or he misses the first read or he hangs too long on a read or, you know, just a, a million things where Eric Bieniemy pulls him aside after and says, hey, like, these are the things we have to get corrected. And I'm not saying that his good play to bad play to ratio is 1 to 10. It's not. It's definitely more even than that. But I'm just saying that the things that he struggles with are the things that are hard to show up on a clip on Twitter and therefore he might look great. But I think that, like, standing... Correct me if I'm wrong, man, but it feels like when this guy took over, the limited information we've had about him suggests, hey, this guy has a lot of things to like and a lot of things to work on, and he's probably going to have a lot of ups and downs, and, like, we have not seen anything surprising. This is this guy is exactly who we thought he was. A hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, this is one of the frustrations with analysis when you have uninformed people or people who want something to happen, you know, wish analysis, if that's a term to make where they want him to succeed, which look, nobody wants him to succeed more than Ron Rivera. We, we can bank on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's been my sort of point all along. You know, the, the over under for this team is six and a half for wins. I think going over that seems like a reasonable thought, but when you factor in, got a really good defense and playmakers and a young quarterback who's on you know has potential okay but just getting over that is not enough when you haven't had a winning season in three tries under this head coach with a new owner the the expectation has got to be higher than that if we're just looking at sam howell as a developmental quarterback and in time he could be really good that's absolutely fine but that doesn't that's not necessarily what people are anticipating this year because they want him to be something that they haven't had a, a guy who's going to be a difference maker and maybe he gets there at time but it's just hard at right now what we've seen that he's going to get there but like you said it's not like he's playing poorly he's just playing like a guy with one career start who is essentially a rookie and uh yeah the, the ups and downs are going to be legitimate yeah and i think you know it's really hard for me to see sam howell playing really well this year and this team doing poorly because they have a good defense. They have good skill players around him. I think this is unquestionably the best roster Ron Rivera has had here. And I'm not saying that Sam Howell is set up in the perfect situation. Like, you know, Jalen Hurts last year, going into last year, he had such an awesome offensive line with Philadelphia. Right. Like Sam Howell does not have that at all. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm saying Sam Howell has enough complementary pieces where like, he, sh- he doesn't have to be the reason they win games every week. He can They can win with him. They don't have to win because of him. And so, like, I've seen people say, like, oh, you know, this it's irresponsible to put him out there behind this offensive line. Like, no situation is going to be perfect. And so, like, you got to just go with what you got. And I think that, like, actually what they have is pretty solid. And if Sam Howell I- – I-, I can't see us getting to the end of the year – them having won seven or eight games and saying Sam Howell played really well. They got to stick with this guy, even though they only won seven or eight. I think it's going to be a little bit of a boomer bust. Yeah, I I I I'd agree. And you know, I, I was talking about this earlier with someone like it's it's uh 
it's frustrating to me on some level, like, that they didn't think, okay, not only is our offensive line shaky last year, not only do we have, a, we're, we're going with this inexperienced quarterback, but also we need to win. The offensive line, they, you know, yes, they added Andrew Wiley and Nick Gates, but that left guard situation is still so open that, like, after Mason Brooks is showing today, I'm like, oh, well, I don't know, could he start? I mean, <laughs> it's not like, I mean, I know that sounds nuts, but that, I'm like, I don't know. Like, who knows? But that's why it's like, why did you not do more to across the line, whether that was spending that second-round pick on Quan Martin, who looks good, but, like, spending that on a guy who could play guard right away, or that third-round pick on Stromberg, who is, like, the third-string center on a guy you could play. You know, things like that are a bit uh, a bit frustrating. But say la vie on that. All right, so here's what was also weird about today. Not only was it the first pad day, but it was also the first day that they had the receivers and the defensive backs go one-on-one. And that's always a highlight because we don't need to be rocket scientists to figure this one out. You just <laughs> watch the ball and who's making the play. Problem is they did it simultaneous to the big guys hitting each other. So you had to kind of make a call today. I kept joking at practice. It was like, if you want to see Oppenheimer and Barbie, except there's only one showing and they're playing simultaneously. <laughs> so you have like kind of, you know, what are you going to do? So I primarily watch the line, so I don't know how much you watch of the receivers, um, but I guess in general, did, I don't know, did you see enough out of that to have any thoughts, or if not, what's been sort of standing out to you about um, either one of those groups? I'm going to go ahead and assume that the O-line, D-line was Oppenheimer, and the oh, yeah. receiver DBs were Barbie? Oh, oh yeah, Oppenheimer, definitely, it's, you know, it's all sort of, you know, and then the other one's like, yeah! <laughs> I really hope someone clips that audio so that they can review Washington Commanders games with with those with that thing that you just said. I haven't seen Barbara yet, so maybe maybe that assessment was wrong. I just felt it was a more upbeat. It was my assumption. I don't call me crazy. Oh wait, I, I have actually only seen Barbie. I have oh. not seen Oppenheimer. Oh, we're so like, it sounds like we are right. We yin are, Yang here. Exactly. <laughs> I enjoyed Oppenheimer. It was uh, I didn't know much about that story other than like the bomb goes off. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was. Good. I, don't tell me about Barbie. I'm kind of curious. I do want to see it, but I have no real idea what the hell is going on there. So, um, kind of want to see that. Uh, anywho. Oh, right. We were talking about football. Right. In theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I actually split the baby here. I went five minutes, the first five minutes of that period, um, with the, the DBs receivers. And then the second half, um, I, I went to the O-line, D-line. What I saw from the receivers. Also, I got to make a point here, man. Like, double moves in one-on-ones are BS. Shouldn't be able to use them. Right. Like, you got 101, you, you don't have that much time, the guy's got no help, like, he's playing off your first move, most likely. Right. And I just think that, I, I don't know, I've always thought, like, when some when a team puts up a highlight and a guy's, like, hitting a corner with a double move in no space and no help, and they're like, oh, he cooked him! I'm like, that's ridiculous. Um, not not representative. Anyway. Um, no, oh, fair point. I would, I would say, uh, that the thing that stood out to me is really the, the number one thing I took away is that Benjamin St. Juice, um, who they've been using obviously outside at outside corner and in nickel, like the first three players he went against were all the 
water bug little guys with short area quickness like Jahan Dotson, Casimir Allen. And I and I wonder if that's intentional to say, hey, Benjamin St. Juice, like you are probably going to be in the slot, at least early, because Kendall Fuller and Emmanuel Forbes will be outside. So we need you to really get some reps against these guys. And I thought that I thought he didn't look great. I like it because it's it's hard to grade him on a curve, right? Because like Casimir Allen and Jahan Dotson being quicker in short areas than Benjamin St. It's like, yeah, makes sense. And like every once in a while, Benjamin St. Juice going to grab that jersey. Um, I think he'll, he'll look better when he has help. Um, but just them cr- training him that way, I thought that was a really interesting specific thing. That It might have been a coincidence, but I wonder if it was intentional. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, it's, it's so... I always love looking at teams from the pro roster building perspective. Does one move make sense combined with the other moves? And, you know, obviously when there's changes with coaching staff or things like that, that can take a, a little bit of a time to adjust. But this is a good example, the cornerback situation, of, of, of what can somewhat sometimes frustrate me. I totally understand why they got Emmanuel Forbes. They, they struggled with turnovers last year. He's largely looked really good out here. Okay. But for this year, and I know it's not just about this year, it puts him in this sort of weird, awkward situation because you got Kendall Fuller on one outside, on one side, Forbes on the other. That means for St. Jude's to play with regularity, he'll have to be in the slot, even though he's clearly better on the outside. By playing St. Jude's in the slot, that means Quan Martin, who they drafted specifically to play that spot, is now going to have to play safety, even though they have Cam Curl, Derek Forrest, and Percy Butler. So he may not get, they may not get as much out of him this year as you would like in general, from a second-round pick. And there's other examples of this as well, and that's kind of like, I'm not saying that any of these are bad picks or bad players. It's just how do you maximize the situation when you have these things? Like, you know, you I think they're going to ultimately want to have St. Juice on the field, but like you said, he ultimately may not be the best nickel corner they have, especially when you're going up against the little guys, going up against like a tight end or a Drake London or somebody that's different. But how do you do that? And I think that's going to be interesting to see. And it may just be lowers the ceiling, but I don't know what else you can do. Um, yeah, but they, they've done that in a bunch of positions this year. It's not just this one, but that's but you saying that kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. And I would point out that like, by the way, I just want to note Sam is making me do another lap. Just, just for the record. <laughs> I'm not making you. I mean, ah! you're, you're the host. You control how long this goes. And, and we can also just turn around and sit down if you prefer. No, no. I just, you know, well, I can't, I can't tap out now. Now I've already called myself out. I got to keep going here. <laughs> um, We're not hitting the sled, though. What is that going on over there? I, there, there are some team employees who are hitting the sled. Um, yeah, we're not doing that. At least I'm not. But I, <laughs> I, I am not going to try. I talk about the line. I don't pretend I am one, a lineman. Exactly. Right. Um, and I would say that, like, the figuring out of how to optimally deploy your defensive personnel, like if you have a Drake London maybe shadowing him with BSJ and saying, okay, like we don't really have a slot to wide corners this game. We just have like different matchups that we like. If you if you do that, I think that makes sense. But this defense has started slow all three years under Jack Del Rio, I think in large part because they did not have a good handle on their best defensive personnel. Like, it took them six weeks to move Landon Collins from safety to linebacker in 2021. It took them four weeks to bench William Jackson the third last year. Like, like come out with your best group and play them. I think that's a huge component in, in this year for Jack Del Rio. So what do you think is the best group? 
I, I don't know yet. I think that probably the anchors, here are the, here are the four anchors that I'm going to give you. I think your best group, again, but it's, it's matchup dependent, but if I had to just say like your four best players, it's Emmanuel Forbes and Kendall Fuller on the outside. It's Derek Forrest and Cam Curl at the two safety spots, which, you know, leaves you with the nickel corner job. And like, I think that they could use, I think they could actually get more DBs on the field this year if they if they go um, either more of what they call their Cinco package, five down defensive linemen, um, or you could just take another linebacker off the field and say, hey, we're going to go with, you know, two of these, you know, two of these guys, um, DBs, instead of the, the two linebackers. So I think, I think that it could go a lot of different ways, but those four players that I listed are, in my opinion, their best. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and like to that end, what we were all talking earlier um, about uh, Danny Johnson came up. Yes, yes. He's, <laughs> he, he's labeled as one of my guys, all that stuff. And it was this discussion of like, well, you know, where does he rank on the corners? And it became, well, he's got to be behind Rashad Wild Goose, right? Because Wild Goose is the other guy playing slot when St. Juice goes outside. Okay, based on that, that's reasonable. But why isn't why, why have we seen more Quan Martin in that spot or even Cam Curl knowing, I mean, I know they want to have Cam Curl stay back more, but knowing that to your point, get your best on the field. I didn't think the wild goose based on what we saw last year was one of their better guys on the field. So why is he being thrust into that spot? And I know that's still early and they're trying stuff, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's stuff like that that I think becomes interesting over the course of the year. And it's not, it's why it's not always a matter of who are the best players. It's who are the coaches using and where are they using them? Is it going to dictate a lot? Yeah, and I think that's why I'm I'm curious to see if the, if how much they take into account matchups when they're building those rotations and, and what coverages they have in. We know that they're going to play a lot of quarters. We know they're going to play a lot of cover one. Um, and I, and I think the personnel that they drafted will help them do more of that. Um, so the question for me is, if you're facing in week one, you know maybe week one is not the best example. If you know, in week three, you're facing the Bills. Like, what is your plan to stop Stephon Diggs? And what is your plan to shut down Gabe Davis and, and things like that? So how, how they deploy those players in those situations will tell us more. Uh, as we're making it down the, the, the back nine here, the final holes, I would think. Let me ask you this. You've, taught, you've written a lot about the stadium. You've done a lot of reporting on that, particularly in D.C. You can go, re- go read Sam's work for the details, what's going on there. Here's my question, you being a consummate reporter may not want to offer too much of an opinion but does it actually make sense like there seems to be some momentum clearly for the rfk site between congress um setting up a new lease to give dc the right to kind of do what they want with it there seems like there's more people in the council uh, city council who are more in favor of it i guess my question is does it make sense for dc to do this knowing that as we've all discussed a baseball stadium you have you know at a minimum 81 dates the 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 cap one arena between the two teams just alone 80 dates you're gonna have you know maybe double that with everything else the football stadium is you know not as many games not as much stuff and dc even if you say well concerts well they already go to nats park and other places does it make sense for dc to get the stadium. What do you think about that? If you're willing to offer that opinion. Yeah. And I want to set the table here for listeners a little bit and just say contextually, 
Maryland is the only jurisdiction that has a seat at the table right now because D.C. has not extended and amended the lease. The, the legislation hasn't passed Congress. And Virginia would need to create a stadium authority bill, a stadium authority, uh, which they haven't passed the legislation for that on, and they can't introduce that until January. So it's important to know that we are still in the really early stages of this game. But to go to the second point, does it make sense for D.C.? I think the question that I would ask in response to that is, what are the terms? If this legislation passes Congress, if they extend and amend the lease where not only can you put a new RFK stadium there, uh, but you also put uh, a mixed-use development, which we know um, that NFL owners love, what is, is Mayor Bowser willing and what is the city willing to offer in terms of public funding? Are they willing to offer public funding? Because if you're not willing to offer public funding, I think that um, you'll probably be quite behind in the game against Virginia if they ultimately pass that legislation in Maryland, which is, you know, Wes Moore, the governor, has already talked about, hey, we're willing to use some taxpayer money to retain the team. So if Mayor Bowser comes out and says, hey, you know, we're going to use X or Y funds, I think you know that number will significantly change the game and i think that you're already starting to see to your point about cap one in in our newspaper today charles allen the democrat who represents ward six on the dc council said hey we should help a sports team in our region but it's not the commanders it's not rfk we need to be focused on keeping cap one as a economic driver downtown especially at a time when downtown is struggling and the city is contemplating turning office buildings into residential because of how many people aren't coming downtown anymore so you're i think you're going to see a big fight the mayor last week um the day the uh legislation came out for rfk the, the lease amendment and extension is actually you know uh, she said, hey, we're going to create a new team. It's it's to attract and retain sports teams. And that was, I think, a thinly veiled, let's get the commanders back to our, not even thinly veiled, but uh, a, a commanders back to RFK situation. Um, but to me, the biggest question is, what's the number? What are the terms? Yeah, I mean, certainly the taxpayer funding aspect of this is, is huge for every every jurisdiction and every scenario. But, you know, the other part for me with, the DC, with RFK is where Cap 1 and Nats Park are, those areas were connected to the broader downtown Capitol Hill area. RFK just really isn't. It's 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 a, it's a residential neighborhood. I just don't know if I see people because if you're going to invest taxpayer money, you're doing it for the ancillary stuff, right? You want people to go there on a Wednesday night or whatever. I don't know, man. I just don't know if I see that making sense, especially when to a certain degree you're at least when it's talking about concerts and stuff, you're then taking business away from the Cap One area or Nats Park area, likely, right? Taylor Swift can't play all three places. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's why I think it's interesting. Um, I, thought, I thought Barry had a good uh, Barry Zerliga had a good call the other day about this that um, nostalgia alone shouldn't be the driving factor here for what for what decision ultimately is going to be made. Um, you know, I, also in terms of being early, we don't have any idea what Josh Harris wants to do. Or at least I don't think we do. You know, he's a he grew up a fan of this franchise and all that, and he went to RFK, but. He's also a business guy, and we don't know how much important for him that mini city stuff is. And, and you know, like you said, the money breakdown, who's paying for what, will be uh, key on that. All right, we've done walking. I, I, I you know, look, it's just, there's a chill in the air, but I'm uh, starting to sweat, so we're gonna call it there. And I gotta go finish writing. Any final thoughts from you, or anything the, the people need to know uh, that's going on in your world, personally or professionally? Normally, I finish practice with 4,500 steps. Today, I'm finishing it with 7,100. So, thank you, Ben Standing. Wow, look at that. Uh, this is what I do for people. I lift their spirits, help raise their 
mental approach to football and keep them in shape. Now, if only I would focus on the latter myself. Uh, at Sam4TR on Twitter and go read him in the Washington Post. Thanks so much for having me standing. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you go. Thanks to Sam4TR. And also, I... I-